evening, everybody. Good evening, good evening. I've said good evening before, but now I think I'm saying it in a different hat <laughs> as somebody who's coming to preach. Um, I'm going to have to move something a little bit here. So, Africa Week. Woo! <laughs> I think it started in an exciting um, and challenging way uh, last week as we got into the service, as we ended the service in an abrupt way. <laughs> But like I said, Africa days was so nice, you have to do it twice. <laughs> um, so yesterday, actually, we had an opportunity to uh, mention the fundraiser a little bit. Um, a little bit uh, I mentioned the fundraiser a few minutes ago. But yesterday, we got to uh, do a walk to raise awareness in terms of uh, fees and how many students need fees. And we got to see people uh, use the link that we say it's in the bio in terms of uh, donating and giving. And it was really, really exciting to see that people aren't just uh, saying they care about students, but they can put their money where their mouth is. Um, so please, share the word, share the link, um, and let's raise as much money as we can. I mean, guys, even Minentle walked. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, <laughs> if Minentle is walking, like, so, and Menget. <laughs> If those two are walking, then you know that walking has to be done. <laughs> but anyway, but before I even continue, uh, so Every Nation Campus UJ, Kingsway, was having a welcome, um, a welcome afternoon. Uh, they were having a social for their first-time visitors and people who are joining them. And Every Nation Campus Vets did what they do. They hijacked it. That's right. <laughs> and then after they hijacked it, Every Nation Campus so heard about it and decided we want to be there as well. <laughs> So for those of you who enjoyed this afternoon, just know that you were hijacking Every Nation Campus UJ's uh, party. Um, so we had an amazing time, and tonight we actually have Pastor Luella and Pastor, um, Pastor Palisa with us. <laughs> you are visiting the service, and we also have uh, Reverend Pila with us as well. <laughs> But as you guys know, um, there's no Every Nation Campus service where Pastor Neo is preaching without you guys working as he is working. So I'm going to ask you guys a question to kick off tonight. Uh, please type in the comment section and let us know. But the first question that I want to ask you is that just imagine that it's 2060 and your great-great-grandkids um, hear about 2020. Right, and you're telling them the stories, and I know some of you are going to like probably exaggerate them and blow them out of proportion, and say like, I had corona, like, one month it was five times. <laughs> um, but don't share those stories. I want to hear, if you had to share with somebody how you survived 2020, what's the one thing that, we, that, that, that you would mention? Please type it in the comment section, but those who are in the room, what's the one thing that, that you, you, would, you would vouch for in terms of how you survived 2020? Don't say baking, because I know you, you, you guys sucked. <laughs> we saw those pictures on Twitter. <laughs> what is it? You can't relate. <laughs> Anything? Fitness? Running? What? Running. Some people uh, survived by running. Tough underscore 77 says exercise. Minenja says reading. Omsha says community. Wandi says family. Somebody on this side says FIFA. <laughs> KT Sono says growth, come on. Neo says Netflix. Because <laughs> he's pretending he's got the data for Netflix, but that's fine. <laughs> Caesar says uh, exercise and connect. Seviewer says TikTok, like many of us here. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so we will be opening up with prayer tonight. And uh, the group that I want to pray for tonight, it is people that have been struggling with their mental health. 
um, at some level to the, from this past week and also from the past couple of weeks. Um, and as we pray, I'm going to ask Langa to please play for me. Oh, Chesa's here. Yeah. Chesa, please play uh, keys. <laughs> Langa, wanted to, Langa wanted to play. But as you guys were sharing, as you guys were sharing about how, um, as you guys were sharing about how you survived 2020, I was thinking about it and I want to firstly, before I even get off how, what, what are some of the things that helped me survive 2020, is that I want to start off by making this very bold statement that self-loathing is a cancer to your identity and your sense of self. Self-hatred and self-loathing is a cancer that you should do everything at all costs to make sure it does not continue growing on your soul. No failure, no loss, no rejection, no setback should ever lead you to a place where you hate who God has created you to be. I always see myself as a scholar of myself. Right? I approach myself almost as this person who's on a quest to discover God's intentions and get better at doing me. Do you know what that does? It helps me get negative feedback and it not be a reflection of my value. That didn't work. I can move on. That didn't really work. <laughs> or that wasn't great. Or that was terrible. I probably won't ace it the next time, but I'm in the process. Whatever, wherever you find yourself, it is never a good enough reason for you to accommodate self-loathing. When the lockdown started last year, I could see that it's about to get real. And I knew that there are certain things that could collapse my mental health and well-being in one second. <laughs> I'm an extreme extrovert, according to my evaluation of self. And all those things that came with the cost pack of 2020 came against how I normally would enjoy to live life. I had to sit inside doors. You had to not speak to people. That does not work for me. So what I did is something that I would even recommend to some people here tonight. I added reinforcements. Therapy once a week, ran almost every single day, half day fasts <laughs> almost every single day, dressed up like my office is in Wall Street, everything. I was like no sweatpants zone. <laughs> I didn't wear pajamas. I didn't spend my day in pajamas. And I had daily morning prayers with Tommy. And those of you who know Tommy, Tommy's, Tommy's second name is Consistency. So if he said it's going to happen in half past seven, he's going to be there 29 minutes past seven, and it's going to happen. Why am I sharing this? Because I want to share with you that it was a lot. It seemed like it was almost obsessive. But I needed to make it out of 2020. And I believe that even though the pressure of 2020 in terms of the year itself might have ended, I would love for us to continue with the same attitude that says, I need to make it out of 2021. I will not go down with this year. Our campus, Vitz, and a couple of other campuses as well, when the pressure gets even more, I've seen that a lot of people's mental health gets affected. May we be the voice of reason to those that need it the most. I want to pray a scripture over us, which is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 to 10. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perfect weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Let your weakness be your winning card. Amen. Let it drive you to lean so much on God that you're a public display of God's grace. 
that people can look at you and say that at my lowest of my lowest, if she could make it out knowing how hard she was taking it, then this God must be real. That is our legacy as people who believe in God. So Lord God, first thing I want to pray for tonight, Lord God, is recognition, Lord God. May we be able to recognize where we are at, Lord God. And I pray for resources as well, Lord God. May we have the resources to get the help that we need, Lord Jesus. This is going to be very bold, but Lord God, I, I want to just declare it over our campuses, Lord God, that we will not lose any more lives, Lord God, because of mental illness, Lord Jesus. And I pray for relationships, Lord God, that are filled with you, Lord God. Relationships that lead us to the cross, Lord Jesus. Relationships that do not push us to, to pretend to be perfect, Lord God. But relationships that let us know that when we are weak, that is when we are strong, Lord God. I pray this prayer, I speak it over every single person that's logged in tonight, Lord God. I speak it over every single person that's in the room tonight, Lord God. And I speak it over every single student on every single campus in our nation tonight, Lord Jesus. We speak life and life in abundance, Lord God. May Africa not lose any more people, Lord God, because of mental health, Lord God. Pray for resources, Lord God. I pray for relationships, Lord God. And I pray for a recognition of where we are, Lord God, and an honesty to say, I need help. And if you are here tonight, Lord God, if you are here tonight, amen. <laughs> if you are here tonight, I said, if you are here tonight, Lord God, but if you, are here, if you are here tonight, if you've logged in tonight, I want to encourage you, if you know that you need the help, please reach out. Send us a direct message. We will connect you to qualified counselors to make sure that you get the help that you need self-loathing do not hate yourself to the point where you think it's better that you are not existing amen, amen. we're going to be continuing with africa week and i want to tell you something tonight as we get into it god is not a god of uncles god does not repeat himself he repeats to emphasize but god is a god of a new thing he started something in the spirit last week and as we strike the ground again tonight with the same sort of a spirit, I believe that he will be setting the captives free. I believe that victory will be even more certain for so many more people tonight. And I believe that when it comes to matters that affect life and even our faith, there are two types of decisions that we as people make. It will all make sense. Stay with me. The wording of our decisions might sound the same, but the heart and the fruit will be different. And these are the two different places where you can make decisions from. The first one is a compliance-based decision. The second one is a confidence-based decision. One will birth a life that is filled with conviction, and the other one will birth a life that is full of conditions. Which one do you have? Is your Christianity a reflection of somebody that made a decision because of compliance, just complying? Or is your Christianity a reflection of somebody that made a decision because they are confident in the God that they chose? A life of conviction is sown as a seed that wills to die so that it can see fruit. No seed can bear fruit unless it dies to self. Our level of dying to self reflects whether we are confident in God or we just compliant. The other one, opposite of that is conditional. There are certain parts of our life that we will give to God and others where we give Him no access. It's on us tonight, young people, to change the narrative of Christianity on our land. 
There are many people that have chosen the faith from a place of compliance, but they did not need to do that. There is a confidence in a God that was so confident in us that he placed us at the birthing stages of the church and that kind of confidence will yield the kind of transformation that we need. We need the kind of Christianity that says, God, I will give you everything until I see the fruit of transformation on this land. Not the one that says that, God, you did not have me in mind, so I'll just give you what is comfortable. No, but the one that says that because... I was everything to you. I will give you everything until I see a change on our land. Compliance has made us have a conditional attitude because of the view that we've had of this faith. I am striking the ground again tonight because I believe we need to redeem the face of Christianity in our land. Two weeks back, we looked at a story of a boy that was tormented and terrorized by a lifelong struggle with a demon that threw him into the water and also threw him into the fire, trying to destroy him. It's the water and the fire at the same time for me. <laughs> it really is. If you throw it, at least, at least give me one. <laughs> it's almost like opposite enemies were in collusion. Is it collusion? Collusion. Collusion. <laughs> Coming up against this man, this young boy's life. When opposite conditions collude for your downfall. That young boy had opposite con conditions in collusion for his downfall. That sounds like our country and our continent. Both poverty and power in collusion for our downfall. This happened to the boy from a very young age. And even though it was a spiritual issue, it had very clear physical manifestations and outworkings. Thank you very much, Chesa. <laughs> Reading a story, you could wonder whether it was about an epileptic episode or demonic oppression. Many people are split in the middle because of this, but what I see in scripture is enough evidence for both. It was both spiritual and it was also a physical ailment. And what I've seen in my life and many other people's lives is normally evidence for both with many problems and situations that we face. And evidence for both a spiritual activity in our lives and both a physical manifestation in our lives. Acknowledging the spiritual is not being super spiritual, but it is, big, it is being biblical. Acknowledging the spiritual in situations is not being super spiritual. It is, it is following the biblical model, looking at how Jesus was able to do it. The gospel that we're believing in is an all-encompassing gospel, and it offers a freedom that is spiritual in foundation and the working out of his claims, though natural, will include, I mean, will include or will have resistance from the spiritual, which is also the demonic. All that I'm trying to say tonight is that though it was spoken to you by a natural person, you will not only face natural resistance, there is a spiritual dynamic to some of the resistances that we are facing as believers today. When you hear demonic, please don't have a picture of your favorite horror movie. <laughs> or for those of you who grew up in the 90s, don't have a picture of Lisilo. <laughs> or a picture of somebody with a nail on their forehead. <laughs> In the middle of a conversation with Peter, our Savior, Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, after Peter revealed that Jesus is the Christ, by the Spirit of God, 
Jesus discerned Satan's influence in Peter's next comment. Moments after he said that, Jesus says to Peter, he rebukes and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he continued life. He just posted this, uh, a selfie on Instagram after that. <laughs> no stage set, no eyes rolling back, no chairs on the keys, no foaming at the mouth, no nails in foreheads. He continued with life. But it was what was at stake that made Jesus able to recognize the interference of the kingdom of darkness in that conversation. Do you evaluate the things that are in your life, that are happening in your life, based on what is actually at stake? Do we evaluate the things that are happening in our country, on our campuses, based on what is actually at stake? The stumbling block the enemy was trying to put into place to stand in the way of the fulfillment of Christ's purpose and eventually in the way of us receiving our freedom. There are many things that I know each and every single one of us, of what, one of us tonight have noticed and recognized that have reinforcements that are beyond what can be assessed and evaluated with the naked eye. What am I talking about? Things that affect multiple generations of families and communities, and nations, and even a people like we have here in Africa. It's what's at stake when these things happen that makes me suspect interference from the kingdom of darkness. Our warfare is not just against the flesh and blood that we are seeing. Our warfare is not just against what we are able to read with our eyes, but our warfare is also against what we are able to discern spiritually. The stumbling block that is put into place to stand in the way of the fulfillment of our purpose. The Bible refers to these things in Ephesians 6 as strongholds and principalities. It says, for we do not wage war or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age. And against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Just like the story about the boy Flesh and blood is a part of the picture or else Paul wouldn't have mentioned it. And many times it's an outlet of what is spiritual. You could almost say it's a symptom. But what we are called to go after is the actual problem. People who know me would know that I'm an aspiring activist or something like that. <laughs> or an aspiring outspoken person. <laughs> and because of that, I'm not scared of taking on flesh and blood. <laughs> I minister to some of the most militant people on this country, which is the Vizis. <laughs> they are ready to throw hands. <laughs> just putting that out there. Uh, and because of that, I don't really have that much of a fear of flesh and blood. So trust me, we can handle flesh and blood. Do we get it twisted? <laughs> and yes, we are equipped to tackle flesh and blood. <laughs> we have the right degrees in this house on lockdown on here to be able to tackle flesh and blood but what we are going after is not flesh and blood it is the actual problem many have tackled flesh and blood but the problem still persisted the actual problem is the principalities that we see in place I had a thought of how I was once reprimanded by a parent not to do baby talk with their child, right? They said to me, the child needs to learn how to do real talk to grow. When it comes to principalities, I believe that we sometimes have a baby talk approach 
and we still expect growth. We talk about things like they are not at the level where they are. And we still expect transformation. God is about transformation in this hour. And he is coming for everything. I'm going to share another one of the scriptures that convinces me that though the issues can be physical in nature, there is a spiritual dynamic, actually a spiritual root system. Who did biology in high school here? Who did biology in high school? You know root systems? Life science. Sweet old man. Some of us went to Supertella High School, but... (laughs) So, I'm going to share a scripture that convinces me that though our issues can be physical in nature, there is a spiritual root system beneath the ground anchoring them, keeping them in place. And if it's ignored, the problems will still persist. Life sciences say, I'm so sorry, severe. <laughs> we would have cut off the branches of the tree, right? But we would have left the roots in place. And the scripture that I'm referring to is 2 Corinthians 10 and says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of this world, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Then it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Arguments, thoughts, spiritual. Hmm. These seem like they are things of this world, but it says that, no, 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 no. We are not doing this according to the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare, they are not of this world, but they are mighty through God. And then it says that word, pulling down strongholds. One of the things that keeps strongholds in place is our thinking systems, how we see each other and how we see ourselves. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, though our lives entail us living in this world, there is a different place that God calls us to win the war. This place is a dimension where we don't fight towards victory, but we fight from victory. We don't work towards a good story ending, crossing our fingers fingers that maybe the story will end well. No, but we form part of a story and narrative told by a father that had us in mind all along and does not have us as an afterthought. Perhaps... Africa was not an afterthought in the heart of God. Question time. Who is your favorite impersonator and what's your favorite impersonation? So Jamie Foxx used to be very famous for doing some of the best impersonations. He used to do amazing Stevie Wonder and Luther Vandross impersonations. So Luther Vandross is almost like Chris Brown, but it's a little bit old. Obama has some of the best impersonations that are done about him. Skumba has does the best impersonations of his family. That's so true, actually. Trevor Noah does some good impersonations as well. Uh, Obama, Nelson Mandela impersonations in the 90s and the early 2000s were some of the best. Like, if you could not impersonate Nelson Mandela, would be like, do you even know it? <laughs> and with many impersonations that I've seen, I always pick up how a lot of who the impersonator is shapes and informs the impersonation. 
Right? So it comes through. You must never have me do an impersonation about you because all my impersonations have drama. <laughs> you could have just said, yeah, no, I said why. Yo, and then it stood up and then like the fireworks. <laughs> because there's drama in my heart. <laughs> Everyone that I try to impersonate just never works out. Jay Farrow does good impersonations. Anyone impersonating Zuma is hilarious. Uh, I will neither uh, deny nor confirm that statement for the sake of... <laughs> Dave Chappelle does good impersonations. Elle says she does good impersonations. We'll pray about that. Sivua, <laughs> yes, I add spice, right? Um, so the accuracy of the act always depends on the performer and what their motives are. If I want to mock somebody, I will add that to the impersonation. If I want to make somebody look, look like they're hectic, I say, please move. Yo. And then she'll like, please move. You're not in that way. <laughs> Why? Because my motive gets shown in how I do the impersonations. When, what point they're trying to put across and what they're hoping to gain is always in the impersonation. There is a picture of who God is to us that was reenacted inaccurately to us as Africans for multiple reasons and gains. There are people who came and did a false reenactment of what the gospel is about to us. And there's a picture of us to ourselves as it relates to God that has been painted inaccurately for multiple reasons. As I've been striving to read the scriptures with different lenses to what I always thought, I'm realized that we were not an afterthought to God. And though the problems that we face on this land may make us feel like we are a we are a forgotten land, or we are a forgotten country, or a forgotten continent. Though they are natural in nature, they manifest, in how they manifest themselves, they are undermining a narrative and a story that God started telling at the birth of the church. We were never an afterthought. Yeah. I would even say what people see as the first point of Christianity in Africa was actually a reintroduction. Those who did the Connect Group material this past week don't need me to labor that point. As the body of Christ recently celebrated what happened on the day of, of, of Pentecost thousands of years ago, I'd like for us to continue looking at what happened as a result of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was about the Spirit of God no longer just being upon us, but the Spirit of God being in us. And people being able to receive the Spirit of God was a seal, was a mark to say that this person is approved of God because they didn't have to earn the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit as a gift. In Acts 8, verse 26, I'm going to read it now. I'm going to have to catch my breath because I love the scripture. <laughs> it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. So he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. Some people say Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians. Can I pause there a little bit? Can I highlight a couple of words over there? It says treasury. You have to have money to have a treasurer. <laughs> There is a picture that we have about ourselves that they, the only way that we could have had money was, no, 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 we've had, we've had wealth. It says treasury, so you have to have money to have a treasurer. And it says a treasury of what? Candake or Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace was not her name. It was, you know, like in Egypt, how they would say Pharaoh? 
so this was a part of the land where there was a monarchy based on queens. So people talking about women taking up leadership is not a new thing on this land. It's not a foreign feature on this land. We're not trying to tell a story that is foreign to who we are as a people. There were queens that ruled. Some people actually who did the study on the scripture say that some of the gold used in Egypt was gotten from Ethiopia during those times. Led by queens. I'll leave that one there. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. He was going to what? Worship. I'm just saying. <laughs> We've been worshiping. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. He was reading while he was on his way on the road, which means that he was not in the driver's seat. He was not in the driver's seat. I'm saying that to challenge your picture of what's happening with this Ethiopian eunuch. You saw like a little cart, right? Yeah. <laughs> Change. <laughs> He had a driver. <laughs> How can I? He said, verse 31, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. How strategic of God that somehow this Ethiopian eunuch was reading the very heart of the gospel. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's about the good news about Jesus. I believe that the eunuch was reading the scripture here about Jesus, about this Jesus, how he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and lamb before his shredder and was silent, was probably thinking about himself and how he became a eunuch. He could identify with the pain that Jesus went through. Do you know why? Because Jesus can identify with the pain that he is going through. The eunuch asked him, who was he speaking about? And verse 30. Uh, verse 35 says, Then Philip began with a very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 36 says, And they traveled along the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. I can imagine at the end of that day, um, Philip going back to the rest of the disciples and saying, Ah, oh, guys, I had an amazing day. What happened? I baptized somebody. Who? An Ethiopian eunuch. And Peter, because, you know, Peter's bias, he's uh, prejudiced against other races. And it's like, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> I baptized an Ethiopian eunuch. Eh, what? <laughs> the book of Acts, a lot of the, one of the overarching themes in the book of Acts is showing us who is accepted in the beloved. At the very beginning, the very first section in chapter 8, it shows that we were accepted in the beloved. And if Philip was probably giving feedback to the other disciples who were saying, no, 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 no. Before we go even further, these people were, are accepted in the beloved. Acts 8, 9, and 10 is Luke telling us how the rolling out of the promise of Acts 1, 8, how it happened. Dr. Warren A. Gage does a very good study on this story, and I would even encourage you to look him up. And it says that the disciples were being witnesses to the ends of the earth. That was happening to the ends of the earth. To make a point, Luke, who was the author, uses three famous prominent conversions. 
right? It's almost like if somebody who was like a big deal gets saved on your campus and for you to let people know how, how well your church is doing, you're like, yeah, I mean, um, we're just doing this and that. And that guy from the SRC decided I want to give my life to the Lord. <laughs> or that guy from Housecom <clears throat> decided I want to give my life. That's Langan. <laughs> that's how well you do. So Luke was outlining, it's three chapters back to back of Luke outlining the kind of people that the gospel was able to transform. He starts off with an Ethiopian, then comes a Jew who was poor, and then ends with a Roman in this order. And they were all somehow meant to be on the road that was leading away from Jerusalem. The gospel changed leaders. Leaders don't sit, leaders go. The gospel transformed leaders, people who were influential. The most famous one was the road to Damascus, which was the conversion of Saul in Acts 9. In Acts 9, the first one before that one is the less famous one, which was the transformation of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Lastly, there was a conversion of Cornelius, not the one that's in this room tonight, <laughs> who was a Roman centurion, which was in Acts 10. So in the same breath as Paul and the Roman centurion, Luke highlights how the gospel reached an Ethiopian eunuch. The same breath that he was speaking about Paul, could it be that God was telling us a story and placed someone just like you and me so that we can know that he had us in his mind all along. We were not an afterthought. Looking at the first two conversions, Acts 8 and verse 9, could, and verse 9, could it be that the work that we see Paul doing, could there be somebody who was as effective as Paul was? was documented, but this person was effective in the country beneath, which is, or the continent beneath, which is Africa. That's not a suspicion. To this day, the people that he led to the Lord are still, obviously, they're gone. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the, peop, the descendants of the people that he led to the Lord is still going on right now. And actually, they're some of the most persecuted churches in the world. Not spoken about, but that's another story for another day. So as we almost close up, sorry that we've gone over time for those who've logged in, I want to go somewhere with this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. He was obviously obvious to spot. His skin was obviously darker. <laughs> he was black. <laughs> he looked different. His features could be noted as not entirely fully male as he was probably castrated before puberty. So there are two thoughts about what a eunuch was in this time, right? So I'm not just going to give you one side. You can, do, you can use it. But there are two thoughts and that some people said eunuch was just the title, so he could have not been castrated. But some people who say that, no, this is how it happened in ancient times. For him to not do what people can do with queens at that time, they had to make sure that the queens are safe about, around him. <laughs> Baby talk. <laughs> He was a man that was disfigured by those that needed him to play a role in their story. A man that was possibly not even given permission into the temple because of what was done to him. Tonight, there's just one point that I want you to leave with tonight. From desert to drenched. He moved from being a person who was in a desert to being somebody who was baptized, which means he was drenched in water. There's a clear picture of a desert in this story. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south of, the, south of the road, the desert road. And then God found this man in the desert. God led Philip to leave the revival to go plant a seed. 
a seed in a desert in a eunuch. Deserts are always a picture of barrenness and he himself was a poster boy of barrenness to people that were around him. The eunuch was in a desert himself and he himself was seen as a desert. Some people refer to eunuchs in those days as a dead log. What was a physical picture of the desert that he found himself in was a recognition of the fact that God can see that you might see yourself the way that people see you, which is that you're a desert. Drenched. It says the eunuch says that, look, here is water. My prayer for us, each and every single one of us, and my prayer for us as a continent, my prayer for us as a nation, is that we would see when there's a twist and a change in the story. Though we find ourselves in a desert, when God changes it, and somehow there's a puddle of water in the middle of a desert, may we be able to see it and recognize it. What was merely a physical external picture and a location spoke of where God found this man internally. And as God converts him, he sets him up to be the same fountain for the people that he was called to reach. Apparently, in, in church history, he was referred to with the same title that Abraham was referred to, to, to those people. He was called a father. A eunuch called a father. We've been looking at how distractions can shift us from the purposes of God. But I believe that there have been distractions that have, shift, that, that have moved us from the purposes of God as a people. It may look like a colonization problem, but do we notice the presence of reinforcements that are beyond what can be addressed and evaluated with a natural naked eye? It may look like a leadership crisis, but do we notice the presence of reinforcements that are beyond what can be assessed and evaluated with a naked eye? It may look like just a poverty problem, but do we notice the presence of reinforcements that are beyond what can be assessed and evaluated with the naked eye? It's multi-generational. May we be a people that will say, it ends with us. It may look like a gender-based violence problem. It may look like a violence problem, but do we notice the reinforcements? And as we draw from this Ethiopian eunuch, may we become the solution. There's a different point that God is calling us to respond from. God is calling us to respond from a spiritual perspective of being in relationship with him. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is a story about the good news reaching the poor. I used to think that good news reaching the poor is that, Oh man, I'm so sorry you're poor. You know, one day. <laughs> but the good news reaching the poor is a liberation story. The good news reaching the poor is a story about transformation and freedom. It's not encouragement, it's a rearrangement of somebody's life. It's an all-encompassing transformation that God is bringing to people. The practical and the spiritual work together. And as we see ourselves differently because of the freedom that we've received, and we live in a way that the problems we see differently have a solution, Africa needs a solution. And they need solutions with no strings attached. I'll leave that one there. And we are those solutions. The eunuch was merely a foretaste of what was to come. What he was and what he was able to do, we have it in us tonight.
Will our lives pick up from where we were before we believed a wrong impersonation that somebody made of us? And I want, you guys, I want to let you guys know in terms of how the practical works with the spiritual. Studying and qualifying is a victory in spiritual warfare on this land. Working hard and getting wealthy is a victory of spiritual warfare on this land. Going to therapy and getting the wellness that you need is a victory of spiritual warfare on this land. Things that affected multiple generations, the families and communities and nations don't have to be like that any longer. Please stand to your feet. Lord, we thank you for your spirit tonight, Lord God. That as we recognize, we recognize based on knowing and seeing that it's what's at stake that makes us see the spiritual interference from the kingdom of darkness, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that tonight we have proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that we have proclaimed the day of vengeance of our God, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here to comfort all who mourn, Lord God, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, Lord God. You have bestowed on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, Lord God, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that people in this room, people that have logged in, Lord God, and people that will hear this message, Lord God, they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord, Lord God. Whether it's in the middle of a desert, Lord God, will be a planting of the Lord, Lord God. A display of your grace, a display of your splendor, Lord God. I thank you that because of you being with us, because of relationship with you, Lord God, we will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, Lord God. We will renew the ruined cities. Picture them tonight that have been devastated for generations. And in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.